0: This guy is tough to beat. And the Republicans may have to beat him in the presidential election a little less than a year from now, but nobody could beat him out this week.
1: And now it's time for the Jerk of the Week, starring John Steigerwald.
0: Well, maybe you noticed that the big guy was stumbling and mumbling uh, around in San Francisco this week with the leaders of lots of Asian countries, including China. And all of those leaders will be heading home with a completely different impression of San Francisco than the one that the people who, you know, live there have. Somehow the governor, Gavin Newsom, was able to get all the needles and the poop cleaned up in about 15 minutes.
2: I know folks say, oh, they're just cleaning up this place because all those fancy leaders are coming into town. Um, That's true, because it's true. But it's also true for months and months and months prior to APEC, We've been having
0: different conversations. Yeah, sure he has. So Gavin seems pretty sure of himself and the support he has from the idiots who elected him mayor of San Francisco before they elected him governor of California. And based on what's been going on out there the last several years, the bums and drug addicts who have ruined San Francisco, they'll probably be welcomed back with open arms and probably get an apology for the inconvenience. Their governor will get a really nice award because he... Is the AM 1250 the answer? Jerk of the week. Well, when we come back, how is it that liberals can continue to depend on huge support from Jewish voters and continue to get it despite what appears to be a lot of anti-Semitism coming from them in the last several weeks? In our second half hour, how about some sports uh, and why there seem to be so many fanboys in sports media, including at the national level? And we're going to talk about an NFL sideline reporter who says when she reports from the sidelines, she makes stuff up. Should she be fired? Stick around. Well, I saw a poll yesterday that shows that 68 percent of Jewish voters plan to vote for Joe Biden in 2024 and that they trust Biden by a 39 point margin over Donald Trump right now, to fight anti-Semitism. Charles Fain Lehman is a fellow at the Manhattan Institute. He's also a contributing editor at City Journal. Just a couple of days ago, he wrote a piece with this headline, The Paradox of Jewish Liberalism, and he joins us now. Charles, thanks for coming on the show.
1: Absolutely. Thank you for having me on. So uh, where's the paradox, Charles? You know, my my argument, John, is that... uh, Jews, as you alluded to, are and you know, I'm 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 a Jewish American. Uh, I'm I'm fairly familiar both on a data level and also an individual level with the Shattam. Jews disproportionately lean to the left. Um, they are arguably among the most liberal in the sense of self-identification groups in the United States. They're among the most democratic leaning groups in the United States. Um and that's you know, that's sort of a core feature, I think is a core feature of Jewish identity. And to me, this is sort of the the paradoxical thing is that uh, when you get under the hood, anti-Semitism is really a problem on both the left and the right. It takes different forms, as we've seen in the past month or so. uh, The left has has its own brand of anti-Semitism. And so, you know, my, my argument is just that It is odd that Jews prioritize liberalism so much, feel such an attachment to liberalism, given that that means aligning themselves with people who often hate them or are strongly opposed to their existence.
0: Well, you write that the uh, anti-Semitic elements of the American left have been obvious for decades, according to your piece. So is the support coming from people who are aware of the anti-Semitism and don't care, or is it that they're not as aware as you think they should be?
1: You know, I think that in many senses, it's the kind of thing where people just prefer not to notice. Um, I'm quite aware of it as as a Jewish person who leans to the right. I I can tell you all about the anti-Semitism of the American left. Um, It's a fairly, as as you said, it's a a fairly well-established phenomenon. It comes from specific sectors of the American left, shows up in polling data. Um, but I think it's the case that when you are so strongly identified with one side of the spectrum, when you're part of a coalition, it's not in your ideological interest to see the problems with that coalition. Right? People would prefer not to notice these things, and so they don't, unless it's thrown in their face, as it has been over the past month or so in the United States.
0: Yeah. So you're... So- uh, explain to me, maybe if it's, let me see if I get this. Um, you may even, as a Jewish person, believe that someone doesn't like you because you're Jewish, but you kind of like their policy, so you ignore it.
1: Well, in a sense, or or you you know you you like their policy. You're part of a coalition, right? And, and this is particularly true of the Democratic Party, which is a coalition of diverse interest groups. Um, one of the ways I like to show this is the Democratic Party is overwhelmingly the party of uh, gay Americans, it's also overwhelmingly the party of black Americans. If you poll black people, a majority of black people will consistently say they believe homosexuality is morally wrong, um, not, not just gay marriage, homosexuality. Um, and yet those people are in the same coalition. And so the coalition works by holding often very opposed interests and ideas together. Jews in America like to be part of that coalition on a deep identity level. We historically have identified with that coalition and when you do that, you know, look, conservatives are often guilty of this as well. Conservatives, Jewish or otherwise, nobody likes to see when the guy who's nominally on their side happens to think some things that they don't like. It's a, it's a pretty human phenomenon. But yeah, they, they, because they are identified with the project of liberalism, because the Judaism is identified with the project of liberalism, they see, uh, they see this phenomenon. They, they, they choose not to see uh, left-leaning anti-Semitism. Choose not to witness it when it's on the left, unless it's really obvious.
0: Could you make? Uh, I, I I wonder all the time why um, Democrats have are so. It's so easy for them to count on support from blacks, and it's uh, maybe it's easier to identify what I think is wh- how the Democrats hurt blacks with terrible schools in the cities, and I don't have to run down the list of all the things that I, I that I think that. Uh, Democrats have have done two blacks instead of four of them, but they they get 90 percent of the vote uh, of the black vote. Is it is it kind of the
1: same thing? You know, I think that they're actually importantly different. Um, If you poll black Americans, as you said, 90 percent lean to the Democratic Party. But the average black Democrat identifies as a moderate. Not a liberal. There are more black democratic conservatives than there are democratic conservatives of any other stripe. Mm-hmm. Uh, black people don't necessarily identify ideologically with the Democratic Party. It's that the Democratic Party is the party of black America. It's the one that black America is plugged into in its, in its institutional infrastructure that black leaders are connected to. This was true a hundred years ago when the party of black people in america was the republican party that was the party of emancipation and this realigned through the from the 40s through the 60s the 70s um but but it's the case that you know I, I i think that black people identify with the democratic party on a on an organizational level whereas jews identify with the democratic party on an ideological level um and and i argue throughout the piece that when Jews, and in particular non-Orthodox Jews, Jews who are of liberal or no religion, talk about what it means them to be Jewish, they prioritize the language that they use Is in polls is often uh, just sort of an expression of liberal values. They say that they prioritize social activism, that they care about being intellectually curious, uh, that they are committed to social justice. Um, the point is, for Jews, it's not so much about our institutions aligned with the Democratic Party. It's much more about we the way that we see the world is that we are dispositionally liberal. To be Jewish is associated, synonymized with being liberal. And so there's that ideological connection rather than a, a political or institutional connection.
0: And do non Jews like me um, uh, sometimes confuse um, a uh, loyalty to? judaism with a loyalty to israel and 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 expect both to be the
1: same <laughs> you know it depends on who you ask
0: yeah
1: um it it you know i think i think there are certainly jews particularly younger jews um particularly young progressive jews who would insist very aggressively that their jewish identity is not at all associated with zionism the belief in a jewish state mm-hmm. And my view on the topic is, look, uh, you know, look, I'm, I'm an American, me, Uh, I, I like Israelis, I know Israelis, that's not my country, Um, I don't, that's not the nation in which I have citizenship, Um, but I still sort of go, somebody who says they are opposed to the Jews having a state, who thinks that the Jewish nation state ought not to exist, my response is, really, that's, you, you think that's specifically about one group of people yeah. <laughs> having a state, not anybody else, so I yeah. think that you know there there's there's a certain lack of self defensiveness um that comes with the territory of saying insisting that Judaism and Zionism can be separated you know i'm I'm not settling uh you know i'm not, I'm not moving to Jerusalem tomorrow, but on the other hand, I recognize that at the very least opponents of Zionism are often opponents of me too
0: mm mm-hmm. Uh, we're talking to Charles Fain Lehman. He's a fellow at the Manhattan Institute and a contributing editor at City Journal. You can see his piece on this, uh, the paradox of Jewish liberalism, if you go to uh, at cityjournal.org. Um, so with what's happened lately, um, uh, more specifically with what happened on October 7th, how uh, th- this poll that I mentioned where it says 68 um, percent of Jewish voters plan to vote for Joe Biden in 2024, Um, Is that likely to change because of what happened on what's going on now in in Hamas?
1: You know, look, I think it depends on how the administration positions itself and how it continues to relate to its Jewish base. Uh, Biden has walked a very fine line, and he's mostly, I think from the perspective of retaining the Jewish vote, walked it pretty decently. Um, that you know, that sixty eight percent that that poll comes after I believe I believe after uh, October seventh, yeah, um, yeah, 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 and it, it reflects about average how Jews lean. Um, it, it it captures that most non orthodox Jews expect to vote for the Democratic candidate. Um, so you know, I think look, the, the the question is basically, it's it seems like from the outside and from the reporting, there is clearly. Uh, the majority of the Democratic Party recognizes that it's in its interest to vocally support Israel. The leaders of the Democratic Party seem to recognize this. And then there is uh, a minority particularly represented among young staffers in Congress and the State Department and also a handful of members of the House, particularly the sort of Democratic Socialist wing of the Democratic Party, who are uh, ideologically aligned with uh, charitably the Palestinians. Um, I think Biden has mostly tried to avoid their influence. The risk for him is if those people attain more voice and he does not you know he's not sufficiently distance himself from them um, I think that's sort of the line that he has to walk that's uh, he seems to get he needs to say the right things on Israel to keep Jews voting for him
0: yeah is is it, is it though a common mistake by um, members of both parties to not be able to separate a um, a Jewish person from a and to assume automatically that a person who is either Jewish by uh, descent or religion and or religion is also a big fan of Israel and how do how do how how should a politician separate the two? How do you? Know? I
1: mean the reality I mean, the, the reality is that right now it's a pretty good bet that if somebody is Jewish they're also supportive of Israel. Right. Um, I think in some liberal circles you would find recently this phenomenon where particularly given the Israeli government's efforts at judicial reform. There's hostility specifically to the Netanyahu government, the Likud party. Um, but even many of those people will say, I support Israel. I just don't like what the government is doing. I'm opposed to Netanyahu specifically. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I think particularly among older Jews, and the population is aging, uh, particularly among older Jews, um, Israel is extremely salient, extremely relevant. People strongly identify with it. Um, and American Jews like Israel. Uh, there's, a, there's, there's a classic joke that Israelis tell, which is that 1948 they established the Jewish state, and they say all Jews of the world are welcome. And the, the, the Jews from Africa say, we will come. And the Jews from the Middle East say, we will come. And the Jews in America say, yes, we will send money. Um, And if you've ever been to Jerusalem, every building has an American name on it. Uh, And that reflects the fact that American Jews love and care about Israel. Um, I think that remains true. And so it's a pretty good bet uh, to play to that as one among several issues the American Jewish community will care about.
0: Um, And also, getting back to that poll, um, why do Jews believe that conservatives, uh, and specifically Donald Trump, who may or may not be a true conservative, but... Uh, why do Jews believe that conservatives, including him, uh, whose daughter, by the way, is converted to Judaism is married to a Jew, uh, why do they think that he and and conservatives like you, by the way, you're, you've, you've identified as a conservative, are more anti-Semitic? You know,
1: I think it goes from ideology back to uh, back to that perspective that. Um, you know, the, the reality is there is anti-Semitism on the left and right in America. It behooves nobody to say otherwise. Um, and there's, I think there's lots of evidence that that's true. It's not, you know, t- two things are true. One is that the overwhelming majority of Americans love Jews, right? This is, in my view, America is one of the best places in human history to be Jewish. Mm-hmm. But there are people on the left and the right who practice what is an age-old, timeless hatred. Um, that's true. Uh, and the question is just, it's not so much uh, are those people there as do you notice them or not? Mm-hmm. Um, cause it's very easy for liberal Jews to go, Oh, look at this, you know, look, look at this anti-Semitic figure on the right. Isn't this obviously indicative of why we should all lean left because they want a reason to lean left anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and my argument to them by the way is not that they should need to become conservative. I am conservative for reasons related to, but distinct from why I'm Jewish. But my argument is that they should be a little more discerning in who their allies are. They should be a little more willing to consider the other side. The reality is somebody like Donald Trump has made serious steps, prioritized his administration, not just the state of Israel, which he was generally quite supportive of, but also uh, Jews as a class in the United States. For example, the president made efforts to – the full president made efforts to – uh, get Jews identified as a national origin group for purposes of discrimination law, which helps extend protections to us, uh, in, uh, in the higher education context. It's a fairly technical fix, but it is a real benefit for protecting Jews against, for example, wild BDS activism. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, you know, I think, I think, uh, Trump is not going to pass. Uh, he, he, he should be scored a little more highly by American Jews, but they don't want to because mostly for ideological reasons.
0: Yeah, is it? Is this just, just a, um, a proof that it would be better for all of us if and nobody cared if you were Jewish or black or uh, Hispanic or whatever other group you want to come up with, and just um, it wasn't it wasn't I guess tribal. It wasn't everything wasn't so tribal, and that um, that good policy was good policy, and you didn't have to lump yourself in with any one group and feel guilty if you're not voting with them.
1: Yeah, You know, I guess I'd say certainly that would be the ideal and just as we should desire a colorblind ideal I'd be happy with a, yeah. an ethnic blind ideal, a religion blind ideal. On the other hand, you know, my argument to liberal Jews is in part you are you are a little too blind uh, that, that it may not you know, I don't think that they need that the liberal Jews should not feel obligated to vote as a group just like any other ethnic group should not feel obligated to vote as a group. But If there's somebody on your side who hates you, you should be willing to be aware of that. Um, And that's, you know, that's that is maybe too little group identity rather than too much. There's a de minimis level of group identity that matters um, over and above that. uh, You know, but prior to that ideal.
0: Last thing, I've got less than about a minute left. Um, You mentioned uh, earlier that you are aware of anti-Semitism from, you know, coming from certain groups or people involved in on the left. What are some of the indications for you? I know I only have less than a minute here, but if you can sum it up. when you, wh- How do you spot it, and what, what constitutes to you anti-Semitism?
1: Yeah, I mean, look, <laughs> anti-Semitism isn't a novel idea. Um, people have hated Jews for a variety of reasons for a long time. I think that you see on the American left, um, if you look in the polling, you see a couple of things. One is that... Uh, a disproportionate share of Black Americans have expressed cold feelings towards Jews, are willing to press a belief in, frankly, a series of conspiracy theories about Jews. Is that the majority? Far from it. Maybe it's closer to a quarter than it is to a half. Um, that said, that is you know because Black Americans are disproportionately represented on the left, they are large uh, sort of center of gravity for that. Um, and then you also see it among the small fraction of, of Muslim Americans, uh, many of whom are. You know, good good citizens, uh, friendly Jews, tolerant of all religions, but some of whom uh, practice the beliefs with regards to Jews that are more common in the Middle East. Um, that is that is a separate that is a separate. You know, uh, I I think it is inappropriate to paint with a broad paintbrush about either group. Most of whom are friends to the Jews, um, but there, if you are looking for subsets, often that is true. On, on the American left, it's often within those groups that you might find them.
0: Hey, Charles, I appreciate you coming on the show. I'm out of time. Thank you very much.
1: Absolutely. Thank you.
0: Okay, that's Charles Fane Lehman uh, of the uh, Manhattan Institute. I'll be right back. Well, there are a few things in sports uh, more useless than TV sideline reporters for football games. In most cases, they're really good looking women and mostly what they do is repeat the cliches that coaches give them uh, when they're trying to get off the field at halftime. Carissa Thompson is a sideline reporter for Fox and Amazon Prime, and she's all over the Internet today for something she recently said. Uh, Frank Bull has been around as long as I have doing this stuff, and he spent 40 years working as a sportscaster in Kansas City. He's a Pittsburgh guy, and he joins us now. Frank, thanks for coming back on. Stag, you know, any time for you, my friend. So, yeah, thanks. So, uh, Carissa (laughs) says that she's made up quotes from coaches who decided (laughs) not to not to stop and talk to her at
2: halftime. Is this a big deal? Well, let's uh, let's put it from her perspective. I don't think there's any way you can retain her uh, to do her job. She's not just a sideline reporter; even she does the. The Prime uh, deal on Thursday nights, and she's one of the studio, or not studio, but the sideline host behind the desk with about three other guys, yeah. so she, she has a big job. I mean, she's, I can't imagine that they would retain her after saying that she basically was not doing her job and lied at the same time.
0: Yeah, it's um, a kind of a, I don't know, it seems that, not making stuff up is one of the prere- prerequisites for, you know, being in the media.
1: <laughs>
0: is that you know you don't get to just say whatever you feel like saying as as a fact when it when you made it up.
2: Yeah, right. I think you know what I'm. I'm not sure. I had a finance degree from Villanova, right? I did not graduate in journalism. I went back and took some courses later, but never got a, a, a full degree in journalism, uh-huh. as would be like a full major. One of the first things I knew in life in order to retain a job or retain your credibility was don't lie, yeah. no matter what you do. Okay, yeah. If I'd have stayed in finance and gone to Wall Street or done any of those types of things, uh, just don't lie. Okay, that's, that, that's just a basic premise in life. And when you do that in her situation, when you're being seen by millions of people, basically, on a nightly basis, as soon as she admitted that, she destroyed her credibility.
0: Yeah, as I said, it's a useless job. I've done it. I don't know if you ever did a uh, got a chance to do sideline reporting on a TV football game. I have, and I couldn't get out of it quick as uh, any quicker than I, I mean. It was just something I didn't. One of the worst things I've ever done. One of the most useless things I've ever done. Um, and so, it's even though that may be the case, I think most people agree that it's a useless job. That if it if they all disappeared, nobody would notice. But it's still, you're, you're, if you are, whoever's employing her, I guess it's Fox and Prime, if you're employing her, you just can't continue to put people on the air who have admitted that, you know, for you don't know how long they've been just making stuff
2: up. You can't do Yeah, keep them. and then, yeah, right. And again, as you move forward, nobody's going to ever believe anything you say. Right. Again, I think I just saw something tweeted out today, just recently. Somebody goes, um, Joe Burrow, who is now ruled yeah. out for the season, right by the Bengals. Yeah. They went. Joe Burrow will be back next week to play in the game, uh, and then the bottom they have Clarissa Thompson. Yeah, they're, they're go, making fun oh of her God. already. Yeah. yeah, already they're they're just making fun. And, and here, here are the other two things. Number one, this gives network executives a great out if they want to get rid of that six-figure salary of a lot of the sideline reporters. Mm-hmm that this happened, and she's destroyed the credibility for everybody. So we're just going to, after this season, we're just going to discontinue the use of sideline reporters. That means a lot of young women are going to be out of jobs. And for her to have done that to them and then to, you know, to disparage maybe the Tracy Wolfsons of the world who basically, I think, really tried hard at this and did the best job they could possibly do. But to disparage everybody and throw it under one umbrella, I think that's the biggest sin she committed. Yeah. Uh, with this, uh, with lying about this.
0: Yeah, I think she, as you said, she also has given the networks an opportunity to show how useless the the, the job is. Yeah, because they could get rid of all of them, and they're not going to get two complaints from the millions of people who watch NFL games. Nobody's nobody's going to say, "Oh, you're kidding me! I can't watch Tracy Wolfson this week." You know? Yeah,
2: no, I I agree with that totally. But and it it certainly gives them a chance to do that. I think that's the important thing to keep in mind because we're talking about people's jobs too. Okay, that's yeah. I never want to see anybody
0: get fired. Uh,
2: No, me either. And and the deal is, a lot of these young women have, you know, worked their butt off. You know, some of them really worked their butt off to to get to where they are, and to just uh, throw everybody out in this situation is just it's a shame. But as you said, they do not really add anything to the broadcast. In and out. inside the coaches, you can just tell. Just watch Bill Belichick. Are you kidding me? He's there for 30 seconds. He never stops walking. Right. You know, he just goes, yeah, no, yeah, goodbye. So, boom, he's gone. Because he's, he's told, told he has anything. to do it.
0: It's, right. You know, he required. never tells yeah.
2: anything anyway. I mean, even there. during the press conferences during the week. So, it's useless and the coaches don't like it. You can tell.
0: Yeah. One of these times, maybe one of the coaches will stop and, and pull out like a, uh, a, a grease board and say, listen, now that you ask, here's what we plan to do in, in the second half. You see, we're going to start. We've noticed that they're playing a high safety here. And in those situations, what we're going
2: to do is we're going to line up the tight end over here. Right, right. Yeah. This, here's, here's my pad that I have on the sideline. Here's our first ten plays in the second half. Go have fun, and I'll see you in a few minutes.
0: Well, I, I just – it's, it's – um, it's a shame because I remember Lynn Swan was, a, was the sideline reporter for a short time, I think, for Monday Night Football. Um, they used him. And, I think you're right. And they fired him and replaced him with, I want to say it was Melissa Stark, but instead of having a former NFL player who, you know, might have some idea of what to look for when he's walking on the sideline, right. uh, they fired him and literally replaced him with a pretty face.
2: Yeah, and, and, that's where it and started. the other thing about that is Lynn Swann could get a coach to tell him something as well because he's right. Lynn Swann, right. okay? Uh, otherwise, the guys are just going, oh, God, i got to stop for this. I only have 12 minutes for halftime anyway. What am I doing? And then it, when you always see that, the other thing that kills me is the local reporters if they have a radio station they're affiliated to or yeah, something yeah. of that nature you'll see them walk away from the sideline reporter and right away they have another mic stuck in their face from the local affiliate that's covering them on on the local radio station so yeah. of the 12 minutes they have to make adjustments they get about 4 yeah so it's it's crazy yeah
0: yeah um so I, I i have something else I want to talk to you about and this is something that's bothering me and and i i uh, work as a consultant that Waynesburg University and I, I kind of coach kids on this stuff, students. Um, so I, I see. I'm. I'm I, I barely watch ESPN. Uh, I, I only watch ESPN when games are on. I don't watch any of their studio shows or any of that stuff. But I happen to. I guess I saw it on Twitter. Stephen A. Smith, who everybody I think is familiar with, who cover follow sports at all. Uh, he's like their highest paid host on a. He has. He does a panel shows, opinion shows, and. He came on. Uh, I don't know if it was yesterday uh, or when it was, but it just showed up on Twitter, and he show. It's a clip of him uh, hosting his show, and he says, "Well, they tell me I got to stand up for this 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 uh, tweet that's coming in." And this will a, be good. There's a tweet that comes in, and so he gets up from the desk and walks over to the big screen, and the tweet is up there, and it says, uh, "Stephen A., would you give up sex for a year?" <laughs> if it meant that the Knicks would win a championship and he went through an entire, you know, clownish routine about how he, well, he, that's one thing he couldn't do, but you know, the usual stuff. But my, what, what bugs me about this is that in the process, Stephen A. Smith admitted to being a diehard Knicks fan. Right. And this is something that uh, is new. Uh, I think, and, uh, Frank, uh, this is, we're talking to Frank Bull, who's been around a long time and did sports for over forty years in in Kansas City. There was a time when you, you uh, even at a local level, you didn't. W- once you became a so called journalist, you left your fandom behind, and, you, you, and especially at a national level, you don't get to be a fan. Now that seems to have gone away. Stephen A. Smith's not the only guy who does this. There are other guys on there. You'll hear. Uh, I'll listen to a national radio show, and the guy will say. Well, I'm a Chiefs fan, so I. You're not so. Are, when did that be become okay, Frank, to be a fan? Uh, you
2: know what? I'd say I'd say it's probably within about the last five years, five years or so that everybody starts really affiliating with the team because you get all this stuff like around here. Like today, is considered Red Friday, and it's not just considered Red Friday for the Chiefs season. It's considered Red Friday, the you know fifty-two Fridays of the year. OK, you're always supposed to dress in red for the Chiefs, even when they're not playing wow. football that weekend. OK, it's just become a phenomenon around here. So you'll see all the you'll see all the TV anchors. Oh, they're all dressed oh, no. decked out in red. You'll, now we're to the news anchors. You'll see the weather guy's got his red tie on or whatever he's got. And then you'll see the sports people they'll have the red tie or the red shirt or red sport coat or yike red sport coat. No, thanks. Uh, but, you know, you're <laughs> you, all you wearing see red. Them. They're all wearing red around here, okay. They might all wear black and gold in Pittsburgh. I don't know, no, no. okay. Or be waving terrible towels. I don't know. But the deal is, it it has happened. Uh, I think there's so much clout with the radio and and I'm sorry, with the professional franchises. Mm-hmm. There's so much clout that they just turn people into fans because you can't be critical of them anymore. They'll they'll withhold interviews from you. They'll withhold your credentials. They'll do all kinds of things if they don't like what you say about them uh, over the airways, And that has changed definitely in the last five years where you cannot do that anymore.
0: Yeah. Uh, uh, for another example is Mike Greenberg, who does a national show on ESPN. It's called Get Up, and he's on uh, in the mornings there. National, on, I don't know if it's ESPN or ESPN2, but he's on ESPN. And he's the host of a show, and I have not watched. 11 seconds of it, if you added it up you know, over the years that he's been doing it. But I, I, I see, you know, clips. And I'm, I'm, even though I never have ever watched the show for more than a minute, um, I know that his mood on Mondays during football se- season is determined by whether or not the Jets won yesterday. <laughs> this is national TV. I know. And, and he's doing a show, Frank, where he's supposed to be expressing opinions Including on controversial subjects, you know, uh, yeah. that that go beyond uh, who won the game and stats and all that. Uh, cultural issues that come up that everybody knows about in the NFL. Sure. And and he he says I'm a Jets fan. So how is anybody supposed to uh, trust anything he ever says about the Jets if if criticism is required there?
2: Yeah. Right. Well, you have to take everything he says with a grain grain of salt. Just try to figure out yourself if you're if you're in the business long enough like you and i have been, we've seen a lot of sausages made mm-hmm. and i think that's the most important thing i mean you you know my, my deal always was look I, you know they're, they're playing great i tell them they're playing great they stink they stink okay and just never pulled any punches never did anything vindictive or tried to get back at anybody and those athletes in those days understood that you do that now a lot of those athletes would go Hey, I heard what you said on Thursday night about our team. I'm not talking to you anymore, so get out of here. Yeah. You know, one of those deals. And we had, I think I told you this story, we had uh, our radio, I worked radio and television here in Kansas City, and our radio station, one of the co-owners of the radio station was also a on-the-air host, and he hosted drive time from 2 to 6 uh, every day in Kansas City. And he started criticizing Andy Reid about bringing in players who you know had had um, less you know, than great character, shaky yeah, shaky pass, and they weren't very you know they're, they're pretty shaky characters, mm-hmm. and he said, "Hey, look, uh, you know, and he's bringing these guys in, and he asked a question, can he handle them because he's had so much trouble with his two sons, his one son, uh while he was the head coach of Philadelphia, committed suicide, overdosed at at Philadelphia's training camp at the Eagles training camp, and died. So Keatsman criticized this guy, and and his other son, who was on his coaching staff here, was having some issues. So Keatsman criticized him. Long story short, he gets fired. The station buys him out, buys out his ownership. He gets fired. Gone. They take away. We were the flagship station. They take that away, give it to another station. And then, lo and behold, several months after this happened is when Andy Reid's second son was coming out of Arrowhead and had that horrific accident. That ma- that maimed that young girl for life. He is in DUI. In, yeah, yeah, and he's in a federal prison in uh, the mid state of Missouri, serving out his sentence for that. And the NFL and the Chiefs have uh, paid off their family, but he lost his job for basically saying what ended up being true. And mm. it was just it was just a it was just a terrible situation, just awful situation. So, I mean, that's the kind of stuff that they do and they pull and. It's just nuts. And so,
0: uh, has uh, is sports journalism dead? Because I, I'm trying oh, to I picture so. Howard Cosell right. going on the air and saying, "I'm a Knicks fan, and I'm you know I'm it's, I'm I'm so upset that they should have won that series. It's just yeah.
2: it's insane." Yeah. Well, I think I think there's still people out there who. Uh, legitimately cover the sport the way it used to be covered. It's just there aren't that many of them anymore. And you can't do journalism on your 4, 5, 6, 10, 11 o'clock newscast when you only give the people a minute and 15 seconds right. to do the entire sportscast. You just can't. You can't do any investigative reporting. Number one, they don't want to do it. Uh, number two the teams don't want them to do it number three even the stations really don't want them to do it because they they want to have the relationship with those professional teams so as far as getting anything done on tv i think it's uh it's a very very difficult task for those people in uh on the air when you get a, a minute 15 seconds to uh to do a report to do a whole the whole sports segment not just a report
0: so I got about thirty seconds left here with Frank Bull, former Kansas City sportscaster and uh, Pittsburgh guy. So I'm gonna am I'm gonna ask you: Does Carissa Thompson survive, or does she get fired?
2: You know, if I'm the network executive, she gets fired, uh, and you know, she she gets fired for lying. Yeah, but I'm talking and,
0: your prediction.
2: Uh I'll say yes. You do. I'm, I'm gonna give it the benefit of the doubt right now and say yes.
0: All right, I'm going to say no, but we'll see who's right on this one. But uh, I'll be shocked. Call me back next week. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Frank, always good to have you on. Hang in there, Kansas City. Anytime, my friend. You know that. All right, Uh, that's Frank Bull from Kansas City, and I'll be right back. Hey, guess where the Major League Baseball All Star Game is going to be played in uh, 2025? Not that anybody watches it anymore, but it's going to Atlanta. Remember when Atlanta lost it um, back a couple of years ago? um, Rob Manford, the uh, commissioner, made a decision in April of 2021, just five months after the uh, presidential election, to move it out because Georgia had passed a a Senate bill to protect elections. And uh, everybody said it was a a terrible law that was going to suppress the black vote. Uh, Joe Biden and Stacey Abrams said it was voter suppression Uh, People were calling it modern-day Jim Crow. Well, it turned out that Georgia had, with that law in place, had uh, set records for black voter turnout. So just yesterday, uh, Rob Manford, um, after pulling the game out of Atlanta and costing black businesses lots of money who had planned to have the all-star game there, he announced yesterday that it was going back to Atlanta. They were going to put it in Atlanta for uh, for, uh, 2025. And some of the this is according to Outkick.com has some of the quotes from people when the uh, decision was made to pull it out of Atlanta. Um, Michael Wilbon of ESPN said, uh, my reaction is not just good, but great. Many in the state of Georgia have decided that people who look like me, he's black uh, and brown people shouldn't vote. And if you're going to vote, we're going to make it as difficult as we can for you to vote. That's what Michael Wilbon said on national TV on ESPN. And as I said, the vote, the, the law ended up resulting in a record turnout for black voters. That's the kind of stuff that was being said. Bob Nightingale of USA Today, uh, he said it was one of the most seminal moments in baseball history. This is what he said. Major League Baseball, in its boldest move since integrating its sport in 1947 with Jackie Robinson, announced Friday that Atlanta will be stripped of hosting the 2021 All-Star Game. They were all celebrating it. This is great. Boy, that's great that Major League Baseball took the stand. Of course, it was pointed out that it killed black businesses in Atlanta, cost them like $100 million for not having the game. Well, now the game, they were all wrong. All of them were wrong. The game's going back to Atlanta for 2025. Uh, Let's see how many of these people who were saying this stuff back in 2021 apologize. I'm predicting maybe nobody. I'll talk to you Monday.